0: Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. So as Christians, our deliverance from sin, that's a big part of our story. And some of our salvation stories, that that conversion stories, come to Jesus story, uh, some of those stories are more dramatic than others. Perhaps some of us grew up in the church, we were introduced to Jesus at an early age, and we don't really remember a big, a big moment. Some of us, though, like we know, we know like when we were reborn uh, from above. We we know our salvation story, um, but what really matters is that you know it to be true that in Christ you have passed from death into life. We have been redeemed as Christians, and and, uh, we we meet grace, and then we continue the lifelong process of learning what it means to follow Jesus, learning what it means to be the church, to to be people of, of God, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity of learning to love God and love neighbor, not just more information, but a life of transformation back in 1992 somebody once asked the late Christian uh, musical artist Rich Mullins they asked him what are the most important things in life in your life and his answer was this nothing is more important than becoming who you who you excuse me nothing is more important than becoming who you are really supposed to be and then he pauses for a second for me that's what salvation is all about As we learn to follow Jesus, it becomes clear that we undergo this transformation. You know, we we start to figure out the more we we lean into Jesus and we we study his word and we walk in his ways. We start to really figure out that, hey, there are some things in our past that we really need to let go. We need to forget certain things about who we are because the Holy Spirit is forging our new identity. We're becoming who we are we're supposed to be so let me just ask you how is god working in your life today as we meet up this morning i want to invite you to be open to to god the one true god who's alive he's he's working in our lives and he's forming us right now he is forging us into the people he wants us to be and so it's my prayer it's my hope that uh, today's sermon is is beneficial to your discipleship walk, that it enhances Monday through Saturday, and then you meet up on a Sunday morning, and then here's this sermon. It's my prayer that God is going to use this sermon and help, help move the needle a little bit more. And so what we have today, we have a text, Exodus 15 to 18, um, three chapters we're going to be uh, jumping through here, but from the text... We're going to take a look at some stories and some songs. And from the text, we're going to have six practices that will help us to learn what it means to follow God. And so if you have a handout, uh, please reference that. We'll be working our way through. If you don't have a handout, they're back on that black table uh, back there. We can get you one. Six practices that will help us to learn what it means to follow God. And so, uh, let's pray, and then we'll get right to it. Heavenly Father, we are fearfully, remarkably, wonderfully made by you. In unison, may we declare that your works are wonderful. Your works are wonderful, and you are doing a good work in us. We recognize there's a lot of things that, that... Hinder and uh, and things that become obstacles, and we get in our own way. And there's a bunch of stuff, lots of noise, lots of voices going on. But may we listen into you, Father. Listen into your voice. We want to hear your instructions. Your works are wonderful. You are working in us. Please continue to do that through the sermon today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, point number one here. God is working. God is forming in us. And we can learn what it means to follow God through the practice of celebration and exalting God in worship. and worship. So let's enter into the Moses story and the Israelites story that we've been tracking with the last couple of weekends. We pick up the story, Moses and the Israelites, they are safe on the other side of the Sea of Reeds what seemed to be this impossible situation, God defeats the Egyptians and he delivers the people. This is a time to be amazed, a time to be grateful. This is a time to celebrate. And that's what happens in our Exodus story. Now, when somebody does a really, really nice thing for you, a nice big thing, uh, do you feel like you have to thank them? Like it's a required task? Like it's just something you have to do? Kind of like something you just check off? Or rather, is it, is it more a bit natural? Like somebody does this nice thing for you, and then out of the overflow of who you are, you express your heart in gratitude. I suppose, I guess, if your heart is cold, you might not feel any expression of, of gratitude, but um, it, it kind of just naturally happens. You respond with gratitude. Let's pull that over into worship. Worship is not something you have to do. It's a natural response of your lifestyle and relationship with God. It's less about something that you do, and it's more about who you are. It's a lifestyle of ascribing worth to God. So just as a side note here, I want to encourage you to be careful with your vocabulary. When we talk about church or what we do on a Sunday morning or different things like that, church is an identity thing. Church is people. People you are a Christian, you are the church. Church is an identity thing. The church is a people who. The church is a people who worship, Bible study, pray, and so on. Worship is the natural outcome of who we are. In regular rhythms, we, we meet up to celebrate and we worship as a, as a body. This is how we have chosen to express that. Like this summer, hey, let's meet up in the back lot of PMC. Let's do outside worship. We'll sing some songs. We'll hear a sermon. We'll have some fellowship time. We'll connect. This is how we're choosing to gather. And it's a regular rhythm. It's on repeat. It's not the only time we worship. It's just a natural outcome of, hey, this is what kingdom people do. They meet up. Every day of the day to worship because it's, it's, it's the natural response of, of following God. Back in Exodus 15, we have this epic poem. A, a song is recorded to us. And some scholars think this is perhaps one of the oldest recorded songs in world history. And this song, it exalts God for who he is and what he's what He's done. So let's read a little bit here. I have the, the Christian English Bible or Contemporary English Bible, I forget what C D B actually stands for, but let's check it out here. It says, I will sing to the Lord for an overflowing victory. Horse and rider he threw into the sea. The Lord is my strength. He's my power. He has become my salvation. This is my God, whom I will praise. The God of my ancestors, whom I will acclaim. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name skipping a bit. Who is like you, foremost in holiness, worthy of highest praise, doing awesome deeds? You raised your strong hand, earth swallowed them up. With your great loyalty, you led the people you rescued. With your power, you guided them into your sanctuary, skipping down a little bit more. The Lord will rule forever and always. when, When Pharaoh's horses and chariots and cavalry went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. All the women followed her, playing tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang the refrain back to them, singing to the Lord for an overflowing victory, horse and rider. He threw into the sea. They are worshiping God. Who he is. What he's done for them. Amazing. Worship. A a response. Sing to the Lord. An overflowing victory. So now what? God's people are free. Now this group will scatter. Or continue to stay gathered. Gathered. Now, if they're to represent God's kingdom, if they are to represent his power and authority, if they are to be a light to the nations, then you know what? Absolutely, their identity needs to be crystallized here. And since identity is formed in relationship and identity comes from God, they're going to have to have some trust-building and relational-forming opportunities ahead of them. Since God is working and forming in us, too— as we track with their story, the second practice that we can do today, we can embrace. Number two, we can listen to God's instruction. So the people, they're traveling in the desert for three days. Three days pass by and they don't find any water. And they finally come to a place called Merah. It has water. Oh my goodness, thank you. But then we find out that the water is undrinkable. Mara means bitter. And so just like what would happen today, if we do not have access to clean water, how long would it take before you start picking up the phone and you're calling the authorities or you're calling the stores, you're checking to see, hey, do you have water? Grandma, do you have water? Like, like we need water. We would react. And that's what the people do. They actually started to grumble against Moses. What are we to drink? And so God, he shows Moses this piece of wood, and Moses throws the piece of wood into the water, and the water becomes sweet. That is an archaic way of saying you're making the water fit to drink. God heals the water, and they can drink. Verse 25, and it was there that God issued a ruling and instruction, and he tested them. So the the healing of the water here, it's almost like an object lesson. And then God says, if you listen carefully to what I say, if you do what is right, if you pay attention to my commands, if you keep my decrees, it will be like sweet living water for you. I'm going to prescribe a way for you to live. If you follow me, if you listen to my voice, if you obey, if you follow... It will be like sweet water. You will be healed. God is the one who heals. And so we get thirsty and helpless. And you know, God helps us out in many ways, and a big way that God helps us is that He gives us His instructions. You might be familiar with the Old Testament word Torah. Well, that means instruction. I get it. Life is complicated. And I believe the Bible is very helpful on how to make the water sweet, so to speak. I don't know what bitter water is in your life, but I do believe that God has something to say about it. And God cares about what you're going through. If we can hear the voice of the Father and follow what he's saying to us, I truly believe our thirst can be satisfied. In fact, this is like kind of the heartbeat of a disciple Disciple means student, a a, a learner, learning to listen well. Are you listening to what God is saying? His instructions for your life are sweet, they're nourishing. And to be clear, I'm not saying that that more Bible, knowing more Bible automatically equals a better life. No, I'm saying that the quote, the sweet water, it's in the listening. It's in the following, the application. The spiritual formation that happens in your relationship with God. And so in the story, the people, they go on to Elam, where they find 12 springs of fresh water. If you're kind of like a Bible nerd, numerology, you see that number 12, that's a good number. 12 springs of fresh water, and for a moment, it's a happy, good situation they find themselves in. So like, they're in this dreamy oasis, Everything's good. But you know what? They can't stay here forever. They have not arrived. This is not home. There are more opportunities of learning what it means to be a people of God. And so we move on to point three. Another way we can learn what it means to follow God is by trusting that he will be, be a provider. That, trusting that he will provide. And also, with that, don't forget the daily miracles. We turn to chapter 16 for our third point. We won't go through it all. I encourage you to read it later for yourself in its entirety. After Elam, they're grumbling in the desert again. This time, the scarcity mindset is around food. Okay? And yes, we get irritable when we get hungry. Okay? As Americans, we probably don't know what true hunger feels like. We have access to food. They're getting hungry. And so they have another opportunity to trust God. Uh, We have an opportunity to see where their heart is at. Okay, Israel, is it bending towards God or is it bending back towards Egypt? And so they go to Moses, they go to their leaders, and they say, hey, you know what? Back in Egypt, we sat around uh, fires and and we had pots of meat. We had plenty. Now all of us are we're starving in the desert. If only would it, we would have just been killed by God back in Egypt, right? Long story short, God provides again. God provides bread from heaven. It wasn't actual bread. It was described as something like thin flakes of frost. It became known as manna. Manna is translated as like, what is it? Or like, the what food? You know, hey Sam, can you go get more what today? You know, like, can you go gather more what, more manna, right? Like that's, that is the the translation there. Um, They would gather it for six days. On the sixth day, you would double up because you would not gather manna on the seventh day. God gave them these instructions, and we just learned it's important to follow God's instructions. And so they would go out, and they would gather it almost like grain, and they would make these honey-tasting pancakes out of it. And everyone was provided for. It's amazing. God also provides quail, delicious quail. You know, at at twilight, you just go stretch your legs, grab a quail leg, you know. like, Like, it's just, it's there, and this would happen for 40 years in the wilderness as we come to find out daily miracles God is providing over and over and over again. This this story reminds us that we too, every day, we have opportunities to trust in God's provisions. And then also, let's, let's check our hearts. Let's, let's check to see what we're taking for granted. We don't want to miss the common daily Miracles in our life. Now, okay, I've, I've been here before. Jess and I know this story. Money gets tight. The cupboard is bare. The car tank is low on gas. Your tires are about ready to fall off. Okay, there. in those moments, okay, be warned. In, in those moments, you you will experience an itch you may experience an itch where you're going to want to bend back to a metaphorical Egypt. And with that comes feelings of perhaps bitterness and you want to grumble. You want to play the comparison game. It's tough being a young adult trying to get started in life. And you see other, you you see your friends and you're just like, what in the world? How are they buying a house already? Oh my goodness. You start to like, you start to play that game over and over again. You, you look around. The grass is always greener on the other side. You start to look at Egypt. You, you try to find your Egypt. So let's just put this on the level of belief. Do you believe in the good news that God is a provider? Do you believe in the good news that God is a provider? Is that a fundamental part of of your gospel that that god will provide for you so i want to invite you to make some space in your life to be thankful for all of god's provisions Trust that he will continue to meet your needs physical spiritual and so on so a good practice is to count your miracles count your blessings okay they didn't come from you they came from yahweh And know that the Lord your God is your God, and trust that he will provide. And so you can trust in his provisions, and you can also, number four, trust in his promise of presence. Again, the people find themselves in a place with no water, and they start to quarrel with Moses, and they demand drinking water. So what we see in the text, yeah, there's some unbelief going on here. They grumble, they're questioning if Egypt would have been a better option again. Chapter 17, verse 7 becomes key to help understanding this story. This is a place where they tested God, it says. The people asked, is God among us or not? They're questioning God's presence, his proximity. And so Moses cries out to God, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're about ready to stone me. So God, as the story unfolds, he says, go out in the sight of elders, strike the rock. And water flows from the rock. Water flows from the rock. God provides. And later this becomes a spiritual connection to Jesus Christ, who is our rock and living water. Okay, quick flashback. You guys doing okay? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 3. God said to Moses, I'm going to be with you. And someday the sign that will prove all of this is that when I break you out of jail, when I break you out of slavery, I'm going to bring you to this mountain and you're going to be worshiping me on Mount Sinai. That's coming up in a couple minutes, a couple pages in our story. But. I will be with you. If God says he's going to be with us, let's trust that. You are invited to trust. Christ is our rock. He said he's going to be with us to the very end of the age. Let's trust that. We have access to God. Let's trust in his presence. And so it's through worship. It's through listening to God. Trusting in his provisions. Trusting that he is here. That he is present in our life. All of these things then actually help to shape us in our prayer life. Number five, you can learn what it means to be a godly person by engaging in intercessory prayer. That's a fancy way of saying praying for others. All of us face battles. Some are physical or situational, relational. Others are spiritual, emotional, mental a mixture of everything, and let's be honest, that's what it normally is. It's a cocktail. It is this soup of, of everything. And we're going through a battle. In Exodus 17, their battle, the Israelites are attacked by the Amalekites. And these are descendants of Esau's grandson, Amalek, if you care to know. And then a new character shows up in the, in the narrative. He's this young guy, this young leader named Joshua. And Moses utilizes him as kind of like a military leader. Perhaps, perhaps he is like a general already. But Joshua and the army, not sure what type of army the Israelites could muster up, what that actually would look like. But I guess, you know, they, they figured it out. Joshua and an army, they go out and they fight the Amalekites. Meanwhile, up on a hilltop, Moses has his staff. He raises his, his his hands. And when his hands are up, lifted up to heaven, the Israelites were winning the battle. But when he would drop his hands, they would lose. And so as time went on, Moses gets tired. And so Aaron and another guy named Hur, they, they find this stone for Moses to sit on. And then they, they went... On either side of of Moses. And they were helping Moses to hold up his hands. The Israelites win the battle. And so later, Moses, he builds an altar. He names it Yahweh Messiah, which means God, my banner. Because that's where his hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. When we raise our hands, it's kind of like saluting God, isn't it? We're saluting to his rule. Now, there's probably many reasons why we might make this gesture, okay? But in general, it's like we're lifting ourselves up to God. Here's my heart, God. I'm crying out to you. Intercessing. And also, just like that, Aaron and her were there to help Moses out. I love that story. Individualism plays a big role in shaping us as Americans. As scriptural Christians... The Bible pushes us upward and outward. A God-centered vision of life pushes us beyond ourselves. And so, yes, we, we think of others. We love God and love neighbors. We we pray for others. Here at Plymouth Meeting Church, we we want to be a family, a, a, a tribe, a, a community marked by loving relationships. And I invite you, a, a great way to increase loving others is, is to pray for them. Going to battle for others in prayer. When we, when we pray for others, community is reinforced. And we need each other. And lastly, speaking of community, number six here, our spiritual formation will benefit from being open to wisdom and sharing the concerns. For healthy community. We've made it to Exodus chapter 18. We find out that Moses and his family meet back up. So I guess at some point in the story, he sent uh, Zipporah and his kids away. But now they all meet meet back up, including father-in-law Jethro. He's back in the story. And so they're all gathering together. And if you look at chapter 18, in the first chunk there, in my opinion, what they do in that gathering it looks a lot like how I want church to look and feel. They greet each other. They simply catch up. Moses tells Jethro what God has been doing. He tells them the stories. This is what God's been doing in our life. They talk about the hardships. They talk. Uh, they talk about how God keeps saving them. God keeps showing up. Doesn't mean life was easy, but God is still here. God, God's still here. And then they they respond and worship. And they eat a meal together, all in the presence of God. It's a rather beautiful family scene in Exodus 18. However, for our point today, the detail I want to point out to you is that the next day, father-in-law Jethro, he observes Moses judging the people from sunup to sundown, morning to evening. And he's like, why? What's going on? And Moses explains, hey, like I'm settling disputes all day. You have no idea how many fires I have to put out every single day, all day long. Verse 17 of chapter 18, Jethro says this. What you are doing is not good. He's providing wisdom. Moses, you're going to burn yourself out. It's way too much work. So he gives him advice. This is one of those moments in the Bible where wisdom does not come from God directly. It comes from a different source. This is a northwestern... Arabian Gentile, and he goes on to give wisdom on how to organize and administrate and delegate the workload, and notice Moses was open to the wisdom. He was open to, to the change that it would bring, and so the wisdom is about human management, and just to help you understand what Jethro is proposing, it's kind of like how we organize the military. There's different leaders covering different amounts of, of soldiers, okay? You're going to get officials to judge for the people, discern, settle disputes. Some will be responsible for a thousand, others hundreds, fifties, ten. And then Moses, you can just take on the most difficult cases. They will do the routine work. Moses, you're not going to burn out. If Moses can get the right leaders in the right place, if they are trustworthy, if they're teachable, then raise the sails and watch them go. You're going to see a much healthier society. You're going to see healthier leaders. So for us, let's bring it to us here. May we acknowledge that healthy structure, delegation within and for the whole big family, that helps us flourish. Plus, as Jethro's wisdom points out, you cannot have a healthy family, a healthy church, a healthy team, a healthy business, a healthy society with people who have integrity issues and or are incompetent. We are not meant to do ministry alone. We are not meant to build for the kingdom of God alone. For us, Jesus is the head of the church, and we want to function well as a body of Christ. And so it's through servant leadership, we continue to talk and train and develop one another for mission and ministry. We all share the concern for healthy ministry. And as a contextual note, our denomination, we're Evangelical Congregational Church. I mean, that's what the congregational part means, is that we own the responsibility of being a healthy, functional church. A.K.A. we don't have hierarchy telling us what to do. We own the responsibility. We all share the concern for healthy ministry. And so through the collection of these songs and stories today. We learn about having opportunities of worship. Opportunities of listening to God's instructions and trusting in his provisions Trusting that he is present and here with us. We all have opportunities to engage in intercessory prayer. And finally, we see that healthy communities have healthy structures with healthy leaders. And so the Israelites, they have just been redeemed. Deliverance is a big part of their story. They have crossed the sea of freeds. They are learning what it means to follow God. And learning comes with opportunities. And tests. And you know, just like you and I, they need to forget the past and they need to form and forge a new identity. God is working and forming them, God is working and forming us. And just to close from Philippians chapter 2 For it is God who is working in us. Enabling us both to desire and to work out his good purpose and mission. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. So that we may be blameless and pure children of God. Let's close in prayer. Coming Father, Lord. God, we, we thank you for these stories. The set of stories here um, in this um, post-Egypt seen we don't have the Ten Commandments yet Lord we're, we're this is still so early on in their their story but but God um, thank you for these stories that, that reveal that there are opportunities to learn opportunities to worship and to check in on our hearts Lord and I just pray that that can be our posture here this morning that we can take experiences, We can take our highs. We can take our lows. Everything is an opportunity to learn. To posture ourselves as, okay, how would Jesus think about this? How does the gospel apply to this? Lord, we want to keep learning what it means to follow you. We want to know you. We want to follow hard after you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.